Um, so we are on page 47, the right side column. Everyone have a page? Yes? No? Chapter 12. What? Okay. And we are discussing... We've been discussing the Bainani. And so we, we've sort of sp- we've clarified two important ideas in the Bainani. The first is that the Bainani never sins. So much so that um, it can effectively be understood that it is impossible for the Bainani to sin. There's something that creates such a strong inhibition within the Bainani that they would never sin. Um, and had they sinned previously in the past, they're such a different person now than they were then that it would be correct to say that, for them to say, I wasn't, I'm not the person that did those things in some subjective sense. Okay. Um, despite that, the godly soul does not have absolute sovereignty over this person except at very specific times. That time is the time of prayer, of davening, specifically a contemplative prayer where the main focus is which part of the prayer? The Shema. The Shema, right. which we discussed at length in the past few classes, right? So now we're going to talk about what happens after prayer. So paragraph starts, however, after prayer. So it out nicely. However, after prayer, when the state of sublimity of the intellect of the blessed Ain Sof departs, the evil in the left part reawakens and he begins to feel desire for the lusts of this world and its delights. Right? So does the prayer actually remove or diminish the sense of attachment to ungodly things in the Bainini. And the point here is it does not. Yet, because the evil has not, has not the sole authority and dominion over the city, the city is the reference to the body, it is unable to carry out this desire from the potential of the actual by clothing itself in the bodily limbs, in actual deed, speech, thought, nor to concentrate attention on the enjoyment of mundane pleasures as to how to satisfy the lusts of his heart, because the brain rules over the heart, as explained to Rahim Heaven Parsh Pinchas, which is a section of the Zohar, by virtue of its innately created nature. Okay. So we have this idea that the person desires, well, the animal soul desires, I'm gonna, the animal soul desires, and yet the animal soul is incapable, it's unable to actually turn that desire into a behavior. And the reason why it's unable to do so is because of this idea, he says, that the mind rules over the heart. Okay. And that that idea that the mind rules over the heart is an innate thing in a human being. That is part of human nature. Okay. Um, what I would like to do is... I first want to talk about this idea of being unable. What does it mean that you are unable to do something? So there's things that you're physically unable to do that we're all familiar with, right? You can't see 360 degrees, you can't fly, right? There's things that, although some people can do, you might be unable to, right? For instance, you might not be able to lift certain things that are too heavy, run at certain speeds, right? There are also things that you are unable to do because you lack the mental capacity. Um, For instance, are you able to do arithmetic at the same speed as a computer? No, right? You lack the mental capacity to do so, right? So there's this kind of unable that comes from a lack of ability, whether it is a lack of physical ability or a lack of mental ability, right? And there are other kinds of being unable, okay? The other kind of being unable is where you have it, where even though you have the, the capacity to do something, um, and you may even have the desire to do something, you have a very strong inhibition against it. And that inhibition um, is so much more powerful than whatever possible desire. Okay, so let's use, let's use an example. Um, I have seven children. Um, some of my children are very, very afraid of shots and needles. 
Some of my children, not so afraid. Varies. So one of my children really did not want to get a vaccine. Now, uh, this is, I'm just stating these as facts. This does not have anything to do with like saying whether this is right or wrong. But the facts of the matter in Israel are that you're not vaccinated, at least um, unless they, I think they're changing the law. But it was up to, if you weren't vaccinated with, for the COVID vaccine and a kid in the class came back positive COVID, then all the unvaccinated kids have to go into quarantine, which means they miss school, which is really annoying. Right. Hence, the incentive for parents to vaccinate their children. So this, so now some of my kids were covered. Some of my kids were back. This kid was his, 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 he actually was, his, his recovery certificate wore out and he wasn't vaccinated. And, you know, one kid after another in the class keeps getting, and he keeps getting sent home. Um, and there's really nothing to do about it other than get vaccinated, not get vaccinated. And the end he decides, you know what, like he sees this a repeated thing. He doesn't like missing school. And so he decides, okay, I'm going to get vaccinated. And he works his way up, and he's decided, and the whole thing. Okay. Your kid decides for himself? I mean, things that I think are within a certain range of tolerance. Yes, I think important children decide for themselves. He's not five. Um, and, you know, I think that, you know, if, if, if you're asking, if, if I thought, medically speaking, it was very, very critical for his health to get vaccinated, I wouldn't give the decision up to him. Um, but I think he's old enough that he has to appreciate there's consequences. You want to avoid getting a shot and there's going to be consequences. You're going to miss school. You don't want to miss school. So yeah, I think it's an important learning thing to learn that, yeah, make choices in life. There are consequences. It's after, what is it, two, th- two, three weeks of missing almost every day of school. He was done. He's like, I'm not doing this anymore. It's like, okay. And all was well and good until he sat down for the actual shot. At which point, um, he started to have his extreme anxiety and starting to panic. Um, and he could not get the shot. Mm-hmm. Like, he could not, like, like it was, the, 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 the degree of fear and anxiety was so much so that just him sitting there, seeing the guy pre- prepare the needle, he couldn't do it. There's a solution to this problem, by the way, with shots, which is? Don't look. Don't look. Right? Don't look. Get him distracted. And he he finally worked himself to the point where he could allow himself not to look and to not know what was happening. But as soon as he realized that he was actually getting the shot, which the the shot was very quick, so the the stuff is in already. But as soon as he realized it was in, he turned around and pulled his arm. And so Ah. now he has a, a little bit of a bruise and he bled and... Now, so there was this way he felt towards having the shot, which made him incapable of just sitting there and let the person stick the needle in. But that's not because he has to, he's, he's incapable of sitting there and letting someone stick the needle in. Like, he can do that. I mean, anybody can just sit there, right? And it's not because he doesn't have a desire to do that. Right? He's the one who made the decision to go get the shot because he didn't want the consequence of not having the shot. And yet, despite the fact that he had the capacity to do it and he had the desire to do it, the fear creates such a strong inhibition that he could not consciously just sit there and let the person stick the needle into him. Okay? Now, that is not exactly what we're going to be talking about in, for the Bainani, but I'm using that as something that's just like a simple, concrete, relatable thing. That when we say that, there's, that, that, that you can't do something, that that not doing can come from because you lack the capacity to do it. Like those examples I mentioned previously. Um, obviously, you might lack any motivation to do it, but you could have the capacity and the motivation, but the inhibition is so strong against it that no amount of desire is going to override that in the end, you can't get it. You can't, just can't do it. And that's going to be more or less the dynamic is that the Bainani, um, after the prayer, his animal soul does not have the ability to turn desire into behavior because there's a strong barrier, there's a strong inhibition that's left in place after the prayer. Now, to be fair, the example with my son is the case where his anxiety right, and panic was the issue, right? Is that what the text says? What is, is that what the issue is here? What is actually creating that inhibition that prevents the 
animal soul from manifesting into behavior. So the text says it's because of the brain ruling the heart, which is something that happens by virtue of our innate nature, right? We are created that way that our minds rule our hearts. Okay. Which means like this. If your heart really wants to go in one direction and your mind wants to go in another direction, which direction will you go? What does the text say? Your mind. Your mind, right? Does that confirm with your experiences? That if your mind says to go in one direction, your heart says to go in the other direction, that your mind always wins? Yeah. So, we have a problem, right? Anyone have a solution? Either there's something wrong with you, which is possible, right? I mean, innately people can see, but some people are blind, right? Innately people can talk and some people are mute, right? Innately, the mind rules the heart. Maybe there's something wrong with all of us, right? That's one possibility. What could another possibility be? No, because I'm just now talking about the general thing that he says about human beings, that the mind rules the heart, which has nothing to do with being a Jew and having godly soul. That has just to do with being a person. When would you let your heart rule your mind? No, he's saying, he's not saying let, he's saying it's a fact. Human beings' minds rule their hearts. So if your heart is pulling in one direction, your mind is pulling in the other direction, which direction as a human being will you go? Not should you go, not ought to go, will you go? So we have to, so the thing is like this, many times when we think that our heart is overruling, overriding our mind, it's not really a conflict between the mind and the heart. It's really that there's a conflict in the mind. Okay. Now, I think the best way of understanding this is just to start with a, with a simple, you know, kind of superficial understanding. And then as we go, we can go deeper. Okay. The mind is not the part of you which is able to be logical. Now, what do I mean by that? I don't mean to say the mind can't, isn't logical. The mind is logical. But if you take the part of you which is logical, that's a part of the mind. That is not the entirety of the mind. Okay? To illustrate, the heart is the part of us that can hate, right? Is that all it can do? Yeah. No. What else can it do? It could be happy. It, it could be happy. Love. It, could... it could love. It could be sad. It could mourn, right? It could feel guilt, right? Right? It's a, it's a very... It's a very distorted sense of your heart if the only thing that you think of your heart is the part of you that can feel hate, right? So if you think of your mind as the part of you which can be logical and that's it, well, then you have a very distorted view of what your mind is. Now, it does not say, in fact, it says the opposite, but it doesn't say anywhere in Hasidus that the logical part of the mind overrides emotions. It doesn't say that. The mind as a whole rules the heart. Okay? So that means in order for my mind to rule the heart, the mind has to be all on the same page. All parts of the mind have to be moving in the same direction. If my mind is conflicted about something and my heart is on one side of that issue, then what should I expect to happen? My heart will win because my heart... Now the reason for this is not so much because the heart influences is controlling the mind, um, but more so because the heart, the way this is understood in Hasidus, is the heart and the mind have a very interesting relationship. The relationship between the mind and the heart is that the heart is simple and the mind is sophisticated. And despite that fact, the heart is like a student of the mind. So what we're gonna do is we use an example of a teacher and a student. You have a student, the student is a very devoted student, which means they will do whatever the teacher tells them to do. They will follow the teacher's instruction because they really believe in their teacher. They really trust their teacher. They take the teacher's word um, as absolute. 
But if the student is very simple and the teacher is very sophisticated, what is the problem? The teacher starts talking, explaining something, right, which is somewhat nuanced, right? We'll do this, but on the other hand, that. Is the student able to get what, what's going on? And so the student just resorts back to whatever their predisposition is. If the teacher is... If the teacher is explaining something that's very complicated. Right? So if you sit, let's use an example of a child, right? You have a child, and the child really wants to listen to the teacher, really want to absorb, they really want to do it, little, little children like that, right? And you start explaining to the child, well, this thing, it's not a good thing to do. Now, it's oh, permitted to do. You're, you're allowed to do it. But it's not a good thing to do. But in certain circumstances, you probably should do it because like, at, at that point, you've lost a six-year-old. You have no like, like, can I do it or can I not do it, right? This is the thing that often happens when people ask rabbis questions. You call the rabbi and say, am I allowed to do this? The rabbi says, well, <laughs> and 20 minutes later, so can I do it or not? <laughs> right? There is a problem of being able to formulate well, with something that is quite nuanced into something that is straightforward enough that the student can receive it. In a similar way, when the mind is, is, is of two minds on an issue, when a mind feels conflicted by an issue, when a mind sees multiple sides to an issue, the heart, despite the heart's natural sense to be receptive to whatever the mind says, has nothing to work with. And so the mind just kind of falls back on whatever it, it's more naturally predisposed to, which usually tends to be short-sighted. Yes? Right. Um, and they must represent something. And usually I would think like, okay, so the mind represents thinking and the heart represents emotion. But we talked about how the mind has both a logical and an emotional heart. So what is, it, what is the heart? Okay, so the key, th- the key thing is like this, is that the heart is the part of the person which um, This is going to be a little bit annoying, but I'll, I'll use the word. The heart is the part of the person which drives the person. So if you think about like any kind of an emotion, like love or hate or disgust or shame or, or stubbornness, all of these things drive you in a particular direction. Does that make sense? Okay. The mind is your sense of reality. The mind is a part of you that has a sense of reality. So now, it's a very simple question. If you're really angry at somebody and you know absolutely, clearly, 100% that if you act out of your anger, you are going to make your life miserable. Okay? It's absolutely clear as day to you. Yeah? Does it really matter how angry you are? Now, what's often the case is that it's not as clear as day to you, right? There's some kind of delusional thinking that I can like act like a real jerk and somehow I'm not going to face any repercussions. Some part of your mind believes that lie. Is that the, the emotional part of no. your mind then? No, that's, so, 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 there's not an emotional part of the mind. It's just that logic is not the only part of it. Part of the mind is a sense of reality. Okay, so for instance, the fact that I'm in this room, right? That's not logical, that's just I have a sense that I'm in this room, that it's real, right? Um, and so w- that's kind of easy. But now let's think about a sense of reality about the future, okay? Is tomorrow actually going to happen? And when tomorrow hits, it's going to be as real as today? Is your mind, does your mind have a sense of that? Because if it does, then you make different decisions. Okay? So... Um, one of the things that we often do is we discount things as they're further away in the future. Right? Things, things that are, will happen further in time seem to be worth less to us. Of course, once we get to that point in the future, does that seem to hold up? Yeah. Yeah, right. I'm not going to do this now because I don't want to do it. Okay, and, when you, and later you are going to want to do it? No. So, but, and that's, it's not that the person doesn't logically understand. The issue is, it's not about a logical issue, it's just the sense is that 
the later doesn't seem as real as the now. If the later was as real as the now, then I wouldn't have the problems. I understand the logic of I'm not gaining anything by it, right? It's not... Now, sometimes people don't get, have to understand the logic, right? Like, you can do these kinds of things where you like say, um, you know, you can... You, 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 you can take a class on investing, right? Where they, they present different investing problems. And do people really understand what the risks and benefits and, 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 and rate of returns really are? And that's like the logic. Can you work out the math? Do you understand the things? Okay, that's, that's sometimes the case. But sometimes you can perfectly understand that at the end of the day, the now seems more real than the later, right? That's just one example. Um, another example of something, right? If something just happened, does it, does it seem like it's more, does it seem like it's more likely to occur? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... As you all know about there was the hostage situation in Texas and the shul. And it sounds like, every, like everyone should you know, not be afraid and go to shul the next Shabbos. Is it really more, like, like, is it really more likely, like, just because there was a hostage situation in one shul in the United States, that the next week there's going to be another hostage situation? That's statistically more likely to happen. As far as I know, it's not. Yet, despite that, the way we process reality, right, which is not how I driven towards things, it just seems like it's right. Okay, um, and so there's a lot of different parts of the mind. In general, the mind is divided. We spoke before chachma, bina, and das. A aspect of the bina, the understanding, is logic, but that's an aspect of it. Okay, um, certain things just seem to be self-evidently true to some people, and not to others. Right. So. You come to someone and you say, you know, life is not just all about you. You're not the only person that's important. And they like, don't care. Like, well, what do you mean? Of course life is all about me. Like they genuinely have a sense that it's just obviously true that their life is all about them and that's it. No one they should care about them themselves, right? Is that like a logical problem? It's like a reality. It's, a, it's, a, it's an aspect of reality, okay? So obviously because reality is coherent, which means it's, it, it all fits together, there is a logical ordering to reality. Although sometimes it's very confusing to try and find out what that is. But that's one aspect of it. Um, what about, like, for example, if you're really afraid of something, it might impact your sense of risk, which is like an interpretation of reality. Is that an emotional... Oh, so sometimes, right. So sometimes what can happen is that there is this annoying feedback. What I like to call psychological vomit. Mm-hmm. Because food is supposed to go which way? Down. Down. So when things that are supposed to be going down go up inside of you, it's psychological moment. Now, how your right? So how your 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 emotions, right? The emotions are very important because what I said. What is the role that emotions play in the person's life? The, they, they they tilt you. They drive you one way, which is very important because if you don't have the emotions, you you become what I call an academic, right? You sit there and absorb all of reality and take it in and don't do anything. <laughs> Right? It's very important to have emotions, right? That's, how you, that's what drives you to do, to not do, right? to be engaged, to connect. It's very important. Okay. If I really hate something, is that make it a bad idea? No. No. So if my mind starts using the fact that I hate it as a basis for making sense of reality, we have a problem, right? It does happen. But isn't that the heart affecting the mind? It is the heart affecting the mind. But, but that's not the issue. But that's not the, that's the, right, the mind doesn't have to allow that to happen. The, the, the rule is at the end of the day, once the mind comes to a clear sense that this is the reality of things, what will happen to the heart? It will align itself to that. The problem is not that the heart doesn't listen to the mind. The problem is that the mind is very messed up about a lot of things, very confused about a lot of things, very conflicted about a lot of things. And sometimes, although not always, the reason is because the mind is taking input from the heart when it shouldn't. Sometimes it's because the mind hasn't thought things through logically. Sometimes it's because the mind is not open enough to realizing reality is more than you've actually experienced up to now. Sometimes it's because you're not just paying enough attention, right? There's any sorts of things that can go wrong with the mind. But... Whatever the takeaway message of the mind has, whatever the mind comes with and says, this is the reality of things, the heart will go with that. Now, you can have a very vicious loop, right? You're afraid of something. Maybe at one point that fear was based on something reasonable, right? 
And now the mind is using that fear to alter your perception of reality, right? Which then reinforces the fear and then you get stuck. But that's not because the mind isn't ruling the heart. That's working because the mind's still ruling the heart. Right? Um, if you're a kindergarten teacher, should you be getting um, classroom advice from your students as to how to run the class? No. No. Why not? That's right. Now, if you are a, a teacher of adults, should you be getting maybe some feedback from adults about how the class... Yeah. Now, that, at the end of the day, that has to be weighed appropriately, right? But, you know, if you have adult students, they're coming saying, like, this isn't working. Okay, well, maybe they're wrong and maybe they don't appreciate what you're trying to do. But maybe they're right and you have to take things differently, right? Because there's, there's some legitimacy into that. So is it, is it correct to say that the mind should never take how you feel emotionally into account? No, it's not rude, yeah. For instance, if you're really afraid of something, right? And maybe that fear has some basis to it, right? Maybe, maybe you're not consciously aware of something that if you reflect on it, maybe, right? I'll give you an example. Let's say you're, you're dating somebody and everyone's telling you it's good, but you feel really uncomfortable marrying this person. Something like makes you feel very afraid. Does that mean you should just dismiss that? Or maybe that fear is an indication that, you're, that you are picking up on something that you're not consciously aware of and maybe you should examine that, right? This is an example, right? So it's not, it's not, that, it's not that, you know, the mind, it's not that the mind should dismiss what's going on in the heart, but the idea that, that it, ta- it gives it undue weight. But by the way, you have the same thing with logic, right? For instance, could something not make a lot of logical sense and still that's the reality? Okay. What would be an example? Something that doesn't make a lot of logical sense, but it's reality. Without being religious, because if we get religious, then we, we miss the point. Let's think of something not religious. What was the something that if you were to apply strict logic to it, it wouldn't make a lot of sense, but yet that's still the reality of things. Right. No, 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 this is true, this is true. What, what often happens is that, is that basic phenomena, when you start really analyzing them, you end up with all sorts of logical paradoxes. You also have this issue with language. There's an old ancient Greek paradox, the paradox of language, I'm like a, which, okay, which goes like this. Number one, if you have... If a person has no hair on their head, they're bald. Yes, by definition? Mm-hmm. No hair? Okay. Someone with a full head of hair is not bald. Yes? Mm-hmm. The addition... I'm sorry. The subtraction of a single hair does not make you go from not being bald to being bald, right? It's like your person all of a sudden loses one hair. Okay, now we have a problem. Because a full head of hair, you are not bald. You take away one hair, you're still not. And at some point, when you have no hair... You're bald, right? But, if, if you, but, but now, again, think about how we use language. If a person, has, if a person is, is, is bald and they discover one single hair, we'd still say that they are? So we have a problem. When we, we, we try and apply strict definitions to our terms, we run into a logical contradiction. Now, does that mean the la- we can't use language? It means I can't say, I can't use the word bald? It just means that maybe th- this notion of things having very strict definitions and everything trying to be perfectly logical and coherent doesn't work when you try to map out natural language. Right? So again, someone with a full head of head, full head of hair is? Not bald. Not bald. Someone with no hair? Bald. Bald. Does the addition or subtraction of a single hair change your baldness status? <laughs> and yet nobody seems to be bothered. We all understand when we say, oh, that guy was bald. We all know what we mean, right? By the way, it's bald is not the only example, right? You can use the word tall. You can, right? And you just, right? You, there's a lot of things like there's a whole genre of how we process reality in native language that when you put it into strict logical categories, you create all these annoying paradoxes. So if you worship lo- strict logical character, um, lo- strict logical car- um, categories, like say the ancient Stoics, you get very upset and annoyed. And if you're like every bit, I was like, okay, what's the big deal? Like we all know, what, we all know what we mean by bald. We all know what we mean not bald. We all understand that it's, it's kind of fuzzy in the middle. And move on in life, right? Right? We have the ability to mad that kind of judgment of which aspects of processing and making sense of reality you need to be given more or less weight. 
So natural language, physical phenomena, right? Things fall. And even if, my, if I analyze it very, very deeply and do a lot of scientific things and I run into all sorts of mathematical paradoxes, I still say, well, because it's paradoxical, it must be that things don't really fall, right? Very few people approach life that way. By the way, there was a man named Zeno. You heard of Zeno? Ancient Greek guy. He had all these paradoxes. I'm not going to go into them because they're a little bit complicated. You know why Zeno had all these paradoxes, though? Zeno was a follower, I forget which Greek philosopher right now, who believed that motion is an illusion. Things don't actually move, ever. And in order to defend his teacher, he came up with all the logical paradoxes um, to show that if you believe that things are moving, then you have logical paradoxes. Now, what is the response of most people? To assume that because these logical paradoxes occur if you believe in motion, therefore motion is an illusion, or therefore maybe logic, might, maybe there's a solution to paradox I haven't thought of, or maybe it's just logic isn't the best tool to deal with that, right? Mm. It's it like, well, you presented 35 logical paradoxes that follow from believing in the existence of motion, I guess things don't really move, right? That's not, not how we, right? We make judgment calls about which part of processing of reality is more or less reliable, right? So there's, the mind is a very complex part of ourselves that is trying to take in all kinds of inputs, logical coherence, the, 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 the sense of immediacy, a sense of relevance, trying to put, trying all sorts of different things together and trying to create a, a coherent, clear sense of what's real, what's not real. And when something, when our mind really sets on the set that something is real, that really does govern our emotional drives. And the inverse is also true. If you feel an emotional drive towards something or away from something, that is an indication about what your mind has senses, senses is real, rightly or wrongly. In other words, if you are afraid of something, then your mind has processed it as a danger. Regardless of the fact that you might not want to admit that. Because if your mind really didn't see anything dangerous about it, then you wouldn't be afraid. Right? The way it's set up is that the heart, those emotional drives that power us, are a loyal, dedicated student of the mind, but they need a simple, clear picture of reality in order to work. And the mind is a very complicated, messy part of ourselves trying to make sense of what reality is and what it isn't. And so if the message coming from the mind is not clear enough for the heart, then the heart just defaults to whatever was predisposed to to begin with which is the more immediate sense of reality, mm. the more short-term sense of reality. Okay. Now, we do enter into a more, sometimes we enter into a more mindful state and sometimes we enter into a more emotional state. Okay. A more mindful state means what? You are trying to really take in the reality of things. And as you do that, what happens to the emotional drives? They tend to be a little more subdued, right? And when we're in a more emotional state, it becomes harder to take in that. Now, logic is part of it, but again, it's not just pure logic, right? Which is why, like, if you have a desire to do something that you know you shouldn't do, if you sit there arguing with yourself in your mind as to the 110 reasons why you shouldn't do it, you find that before you got to reason four, you already did it. <laughs> it doesn't tend to work. Because it, it, it's, not, it's, not a, it's not a debate class. The heart needs a clear sense that I shouldn't do it. That how it's negative. Don't tell me that, and those hard saying, don't tell me that I shouldn't do it. Show me, right? you know, they, they, in writing they say show, don't tell. Show me that it's wrong. Make it clear to me that it's wrong, and the heart's like, well, then I won't want to do it anymore. The brain tells us shows that. Yeah. Oh, and this gets the next thing is that actually the mind is when the, it doesn't say that the mind overrules the heart. What does it say? It mind rules the heart, which really means it's not just that if there's a conflict between the mind and the heart, the mind wins. It means that think of going back to the analogy of the teacher and the student. They're not in conflict. If the student thinks differently than the teacher, that's because the teacher has not effectively taught the student, right? So the student raises her hand and says, isn't, you know, isn't keeping Shabbos optional? And I was, not a cynical person, like a genuinely honest student, but they, 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 for whatever reason, that's what popped in their mind. Isn't keeping Shabbos optional? 
and you know it's like a, it's an added thing, man. And the teacher, the teacher, you know, carefully, patiently, clearly, in a way the student get explains to them that no, in fact, keeping Shabbos is a fundamental requirement. I was like, oh, thank you. Now I know. Like discussion over, right? So it's like it's not a matter of the heart is trying to get you to do one thing, and the mind is trying to get you to do something else, and which one is stronger? It's the heart initially tries to drive you one way, and the mind says, uh, the reality is actually this. And the heart's, oh, I didn't realize. Okay, never mind that. The heart, the right, it will subside. Right? This is the mindful state. The mind, this is, this is that, the degree, that even when the heart moves in the different direction of the mind, that's simply because the heart was not aware of what's going on, of, of the reality of the mind. So as, that, as a person enters that more mindful state, it becomes clear what the reality is, what happens to the emotional drive? It falls into alignment. Now, this depends on how clear things are in the mind, right? The clearer it is in the mind, the faster this happens. The less clear it is in the mind, the slower this occurs. So think about it, right? In life, have you felt something that you felt like doing something you shouldn't do, as you, as you allow, if you give yourself the space to allow it to become very clear to you that you really, really shouldn't do it, not only are you able to not do it, you actually, what happens to the desire to do it? Because I don't want to. You don't want to. Now, does that mean you've permanently changed who you are and you'll never want to do that? No, it doesn't mean that. But it means now in this, this particular situation, right? So it's like a wave that comes and just crashes and, and disappears. Yes. Why did the text switch from using godly soul and animal soul to heart and... Because this has nothing to do with godly soul and animal soul. This has to do with every human being. You know, every, even an Anjou. This is just, you know, scorpions, they, um, they have uh, venom in their tails. Mm-hmm. You know why scorpions have venom in their tails? That's how God made them. Okay. It, was to kill their, it, was, it was to kill any creature that wanted to kill get scorpion, get venom in their tails, right? But Shem didn't give every creature. He gave certain creatures, right? Venom in their tails. Why do spiders make webs? I made, made them that way, right? right? Every creature has a particular nature of how they function, right? Human beings have a very interesting nature, which is? Clear when something is clear in your mind, your emotions automatically fall into alignment with that. That's just a, like spiders make webs. Scorpions have venom, right? Birds lay eggs. Nothing at all to do with any part of your souls. Nope. Just the fact of being a person and not an animal. But it's a fact that will then come back to the argument, right? Oh, so, the, so, right, right. So the altruism the the is using this natural phenomena, right? But this is important. Like, this idea of the mind rules the heart is not Hasidus. It's something Hasidus utilizes, right? In other words, this book was printed, right? which is helpful in the dissemination of chassidus, but, but the printing is printing. Yeah. There's a thing about human beings, all human beings, okay, which is that the heart is like a student of the mind. The mind, heart is the part that drives us. The mind is the part that has a clear sense of reality. And the mind has an ability to have a sense of reality far beyond our immediate experience because reality goes beyond our immediate experience. So this leads to all sorts of interesting things like the human ability to really plan like genuinely plan to think about what is my like it's a simple it's a simple observation okay um what time should you go to bed at night well, depends what time very good it depends what time you go right why is that the obvious answer because we have minds right and we appreciate that the later depends on the now Right? It's like, well, okay, well, if I need to wake up a certain amount of time, I need a certain amount of sleep. Therefore, I need to go to sleep at that time, right? right? Now, if it was really, really clear to you that you need to wake up at that time, and it was really, really clear to you that you need that amount of sleep, then it would be really, really clear to you that you need to go to bed, and then when you got to that time, you would? You would feel, not just you would, you would actually feel the need, like, to, go to, the need to go to bed, right? Mm-hmm. But the problem is, very often our mind sense that I need to wake up at that time is not as strong as my mind sense that this interesting thing is interesting right now. And my mind sense that I actually need the seven and a half hours, whatever, of sleep is really, that's like, it says it in books. I don't really need that, right? I am the person who goes out telling all the bachim, you know, you, you, know, you need, you, you, can't, you can't function on, on like, you know, the bachim go to bed at two and chassidus is at 7.30 in the morning. And that's like clearly ridiculous, right? 
we're not going to talk about time I go to bed and get up. <laughs> right? So it's like, the problem is not, an, the problem is like, it's just, you are, are informed with the information, but it doesn't mean that you actually have a sense of reality of being that way. But that's the nature of a human being. Now, an animal, in contrast, does not have that. An animal's emotions are rooted purely on experience. I do not want to elaborate too much on the difference between the two, other than to say that experience has to take the form of tangible things. It cannot be something abstract. So let me explain to you what I mean. If you um, get a letter... And the letter says that you are being um, charged by the federal government with a felony. How do you feel? Terrified. Probably, right? What? No. <laughs> well, maybe you don't have enough sense of reality how it works. Um, do you know that most people that are actually charged in the United States with a, with a, with a, with a felony... End up, plea, end up taking a plea deal than actually going to court. Yeah. Yeah. Because if you, if, you, if you go to court and you lose your trial, you carry a lot more penalty than if you make a plea deal. And so people, very often people are innocent. Yeah, it's, it's a travesty, but we're not going to talk about it. But anyway, yeah, you're probably here. But here's the thing, like, that is simply because you're comprehending the meaning of the language, Right? Did you see anything? Did someone show you a video? No, you were able to take that little bit of language and the, use that to create a sense of a possible future, right? It involves very abstract, right? Now I go one step even deeper, right? Could a person feel like it is important for them to die for the cause of liberty? A person can do that, right? People have. Now, what is liberty? That liberty is a very abstract notion, right? Like, <laughs> that person has a sense of the liberty being so real and so important and so valuable, right? That there's something that warrants giving up your life for the sake of this abstract value, right? So the mind is far more than just experiences. Experiences are things that have to happen to us through our senses, what we see, what we feel, right? Now, to be clear though, just we are not pure minds. Angels are pure minds. Our minds develop through our experiences, right? So we see things and we reflect on them and we build our experiences. So it's more involved, but our minds, we have, we have real minds, not just, not, in those, we have the, really the ability to, to, to perceive a reality far beyond just our immediate experiences. And so much so that that reality is real, that that to us, that it actually governs our emotional drives. And then the inverse is true. If I have an emotional drive in a certain way that's in any way sustained, that means that it's being supported and reinforced by my mind seeing the world that way, whether I like to admit it or not. I have a question about the desire. Yeah. So let's say you use emotional eating as an example. Mm-hmm. So I can see why a person would eat anyway and say, you know what, the, the, the pleasure of eating this now overtakes any consequence. So I can see why a person's mm-hmm. mind would overrule the heart there and still choose to eat something more, like a lot more than they should. But the other way, I can't see no matter what the mind says, how would the desire go away if the person's craving something? With the pattern. craving be emotional? Emotions. Yeah, and it would, if, the mind, if it was clear enough to the mind. That really, really the benefit of not having this right now really is so crystal clear. Mm-hmm. Now, that's the hard part. <laughs> that's the hard part. Right? Yeah. Right? You know, to, 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 you know, I don't know what the statistics are, but we'll just use this as the... the, the uh, uh, let's say it's about 10 minutes per cigarette, which is about the average shortening of life expectancy per cigarette. If it's not that number, it doesn't matter. We're just going to use that. Right? So, if a person smokes five cigarettes a week... 52 weeks a year. Yeah. For, uh, that, yeah. Five cigarettes a week, not a lot. Five cigarettes a week. It's about an hour, yeah. Plus, minus, right? About 50 weeks a year. So it's about two days. 
So every year of smoking five cigarettes a week shortens their life by about two days. Okay. What's, you know, two days at the end of a long life? <laughs> but you know what? If, 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 if it's your last day because you don't get those extra two days, all of a sudden it's, you start to realize it's a big deal, right? Okay. And so, I mean, yeah, the, the issue is how clear is the mind sense of the totality of reality or how distorted is it? And the thing is, you can have lots of things that are true in the mind, but if the mind isn't clear about those things, the heart doesn't get affected by that part. So if what stuff that is very logical makes a lot of sense, but the mind isn't clear that that's really the reality, it won't work. But that's the hard part. It's getting that's the hard part. Right? And so, and, but, now here's a, but remember, so the heart is that has this kind of, fun, it's, not, it's not like, I think it, it, it has this kind of student-teacher relationship. The heart is predisposed in certain ways. And so you will feel certain drives, but it's kind of like the teacher, the student that asks the teacher the question and then is waiting for a response. And if the teacher can, can explain to the student, no, that's wrong, in a way the student can actually hear because they're a good student, then they're now on the right path. So if I have a craving for something that I shouldn't do, the actual thing that's happening is my heart is kind of turning to my mind and saying, should we go in this direction? And is waiting for the mind to say, well, clearly that is horrible. And the mind and the heart are like, oh, I see, I didn't get that. Okay, no, I don't want to do that anymore. So the real power behind all this is the clarity of the mind. Now, so this person, has their animal soul, going back to the Tanya, has this person's animal soul in any way been affected by the prayer that they did? And therefore, does the animal soul still, tr- still manifest as desires for all sorts of ungodly things? Does the, an- the animal soul is not affected whatsoever. The animal soul is not, the animal soul, and therefore they still have the desires. Um, What has changed? The clarity. Hmm. Do you see why this kind of prayer becomes very important? Because think about how we talk about this kind of prayer, about the contemplative nature, the focus on specifically the greatness of Hashem and the Shema. And if that clarity stays after the prayer, then does it really matter how much of a craving you have to do something that is ungodly? But then in this case, the craving does not go away. The craving does go away. Oh, it does. It comes and it goes. Wow. So now, because this is abstract, I'm going to use an example. Okay. Simple example. Okay. I'm going to first use a non-religious example. Okay. You've all seen advertisements? Okay. Have you seen an advertisement for something that clearly to you is not, just not for you at all? You shouldn't buy it. It's... You know, either the price or the whatever it is, right? But you see the advertisement, and for a brief moment, you feel the allure, you feel the draw. It wouldn't be nice to have, right? But then, right? So the heart's like, like maybe we should get really into this, and the mind's like, clearly, this is not for me. And as long as that's really clear, right? What happens? It goes away, right? So much so that you might not even notice when you think back on the day that it even happened. I'll give you another example. have you ever noticed that when you're really upset and you realize someone's watching you, you seem to be much better able of controlling not just how you act, but even actually literally calming down? Mm-hmm. Like not just not acting on the, on the anger, but actually letting go of the intense feeling inside of the anger? Why is that? As a, as a side thing. Um, what does it look like? You ever, ever seen someone? What does it look like to see someone else angry when you look at them? As, setting aside issues of safety, just as a person, you see someone who's really angry. What does they look like? Ridiculous. They look ridiculous. We're social creatures, which means one of the things that we do is we process ourselves via the lens of when you realize someone is watching you, you start to have a small inkling <laughs> of the ridiculousness. Mm. 
And that serves to... Now, the thing that upset you has not necessarily changed. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm just talking about that feeling of like out of control. Now, these are examples where the awareness of something clearly in the mind causes the heart to fall into line. But it's falling into line. This is what's called in halacha bidyevit, after the fact. The, 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 there's still the initial getting upset or the feeling attracted to the advertisement, whatever the case might be. But because that kind of clarity of the mind exists, again, it's like the student who asks the question, having the wrong idea, but because the student is a genuinely good student wants to hear the answer, and the teacher has explained it clearly to the student, the student has been corrected and now moves on to the right way. So let's use a religious example. Okay, of what it's like to be after the sta- after davening, after the state of prayer for the ba- this bainani. Okay, um, the average religious Jew, if they are in the airport and they discover that they don't have any food, and the airport is full of restaurants, none of which are kosher. Are they sitting there battling themselves to keep themselves from going into these restaurants? No. Why not? It's clear that this, for me, is not food. Does that mean that they're not hungry? Does that mean that if they pass by it, they don't feel them? Okay, and we'll get into this. They don't even consider it. In other words, the clarity is so great, it's not even like, should I, shouldn't I? That's just, it's not even, there's no should I, shouldn't I even. Right? And therefore, as I like move on, like the feeling of desire subsides until it gets re-triggered again by the next restaurant. Okay, this is not changing the fundamental predisposition. But the actual, ex- the actual experience of those drives will subside because of the clarity of the mind. Now, same thing probably with driving on Shabbos, uh, marrying a non-Jew, all sorts of stuff like that, right? But then you get to small stuff. Like um, not speaking Lashon Hara, making sure to make brachas properly. There, right, does that clarity exist? That is clear. And there do people feel conflicted? Okay. What does this person have after his prayer? What is clear to him? That the only thing that's really important to me is what? And the only way to achieve that is through? And therefore, does it really matter how appealing something seems? So this person, I said this yesterday, this person, the not sinning part is kind of the easy part. And to, to put this a little bit differently, the, the goal of the Bainanese prayer is not the spiritual experience of praying, it's that the after effect, they still have this kind of clarity. Okay? Um, an, an analogy, although this is not, this is not a clarity of the mind, but this is this, the, the, this kind of, um, the, the, it gives you a sense of what it's like. Um, who here likes coffee? Who here does not like coffee? Oh, that's interesting. Nobody here doesn't like coffee? Okay. How do you know you like coffee? What? When was the last time you had coffee? Ah, and it tasted good, right? So it's still clear to you that you like it, right? Now imagine you hadn't had coffee in a long time. It's a memory, right? Well, it depends how clear that memory is, right? Um, what if you one time had something and it tasted good and you liked it? There was no deep emotion around it, so it doesn't have any nostalgia, right? And then you hadn't had it good for 20 years and someone offered it to you, would you be so clear that you like it? You wouldn't be clear that you wouldn't like it. Things change, think tastes change. You might even not clearly remember having it. Right? There's this sense at which things stay clearly in our minds. You put it like this memory. I remember what it was like. So the person comes out of the prayer, the, 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 they're, the thing they take away is, I, I know 
for myself that what really matters to me is connection to Hashem. I know for myself that that connection can only be achieved through mitzvahs. I know because I remember being there this morning in prayer. But what happens when that starts to fade? The mind gets more conflicted, it starts getting messy, and at that point, and so what does the classic Bainini do? Right, before that clarity fades. Right? In other words, it's like, it's like charging up your cell phone. Right? You charge up the cell phone, and you have to keep it charged so that as much as you're going to use it, before it goes to zero, you can recharge it again, right? So either you have to, you have to either do a lot of charging, or not, right, coupled with not so much using. And so this person, if they really want to be a baini, they kind of center their life around this, right? Contemplate, you know, contemplating in prayer, and that, it, that achieves these experience, which produces that clarity. And then not doing things that deplete the clarity too quickly and making sure they pray before that clarity goes away. And so is this person, this is very important, is this person walking around feeling conflicted all the time? Feeling like they're embattling, feeling like they're on the edge and they've got to control them. Is that, is that what this no, person is like? They're trying to beat it. They're getting in front of it. Yeah, they're, yeah. Right. I like playing chess. Now, there's a special joy in playing chess with your little children. You know why? They lose. They always lose, and you always win. <laughs> now, do you still have to play? What's that? Do you still have to play? Like, it, like you can't just win by sitting down. You have to actually move the pieces, right? But when you're playing, I mean, maybe if you have like a chess prodigy. But if you don't have a chess prodigy and you and, and you're thirty something and you know how to play chess and you're playing an eight year old. You're going to win. What? I'm too competitive. I'm going to enjoy it. Now, if you were looking for the challenge, it's not a challenge. But like, if you enjoy moving around the piece and playing, you don't have to worry about losing, then it's like a fine thing to do, right? How does the Bainini feel about his animal soul? This Bainini is described. They have to put in the work, right? But, but it's not like a genuine conflict. Because th- through the prayer, they've so stacked the deck against the animal soul. The animal soul has, the, the person has this strong inhibition to taking anything that's coming from the animal soul remotely seriously. It just seems so clearly ridiculous, so clearly wrong, so clearly not part of what my life is supposed to be. And therefore, it comes, it goes, and that's that. The hard part is achieving and maintaining that clarity. And, that's, and so the real battle of this baini, the real struggle of this baini is the prayer, not the after the prayer. If he loses the memory, then... Then he, goes, then he stops being a baini. This or person... the battle becomes harder? No, then there wouldn't be a baini anymore. Because remember, we said a baini is a person who would never sin. The minute that clarity goes away, can we say that that person would never sin? What is it about them that means they would never sin? that it's clear to their mind that the only thing that really matters to me is being close to Hashem, because Hashem is so great, Hashem is so awesome, and that's so clear to me, I know that for myself. As long as that's clear to me in my mind, then I'm not going to sin. But to back up, you said the hard part is prayer? Yeah, the hard part is prayer. Meaning finding the clarity in the prayer? Yeah, doing all that work that we spoke about. Just praying. The actual praying, it's hard. Just spending all that time praying. It's spending the time, right? If it doesn't go, sometimes it doesn't go so smoothly. There's a lot of, so, there's a lot of, more. yeah, plus the animal soul might realize this and have a vested interest to really obstruct praying. There's an old Hasidic saying that the, the, they used to say is that the animal soul would rather you study, um, there's different numbers that are used, but we'll just throw out numbers. The numbers don't really matter, it's illustrated point. Rather you study seven pages of Gemara, seven pages of Talmud, than one Hasidic discourse. And rather, yeah, and the animal soul would rather you study seven Hasidic discourses than one chapter of the Tanya. And rather you study seven chapters of the Tanya than you think about the Tanya for one hour. And rather that you think for seven hours than actually pray even for one hour. Because the idea is that if you study Talmud, it's like very good, it's Torah, it's holy, but like you can wrap around a lot of ego around that, a little covet around that. But as you start moving up that spectrum, right, the animal soul has less and less to say. If you were doing prayer, you could be like, am I, am I doing then, this? Then am you're, I? That, no, that's the animal soul preventing you from praying. 
So the hard part is to actually... Yes, the animal soul becomes very skilled. Yes. At, you know, so one of the things the animal soul will, will do is, right, and it's like, like, am I praying deeply enough? Yes, exactly. Am I really getting into it? Right? And, and t- in other words, what the animal soul tries to do is to try and make anything going, like, other than the actual contemplating the reality of the truth of God's greatness be doing anything else. So it'll make a person feel unworthy to pray. It'll make a person feel that by praying they can achieve these amazing things and then they start daydreaming about what they can, like anything that other actually sitting face to face and coming to contemplating the, what makes God great in a way that will actually make it clear to you that what's important is connecting to God. The animal soul gets, and, and so that's where the, 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 the animal soul fights the battle in the bane in his life on that level, trying to prevent the praying from happening properly. But like, to the degree that the person has achieved that clarity, for however long that clarity lasts, it's not like you don't have to put in any effort at all, right? But it, 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 that's the ultimate point. It's pretty innate. When you have a clarity about something, it's, um, sometimes people make life-changing decisions very quickly, but they're really lasting life-changing decisions. And sometimes people make these life-changing decisions, you know, five times a week because they keep going back and forth. And what's the difference? So if you make a life-changing decision, but it's not really based on a real clarity about things, then as soon as your mood changes, as soon as like, you know, you're more tired, you're less tired, the weather changes, whatever, whatever other little influences have, what happens to these big life-changing decisions? Flip back. Okay? But if a person has a strong sense of clarity that this is what's right, and that's why they made a decision, that decision has a lot more staying power. And that's kind of the sense that is trying to be achieved in the prayer. And that's the person takes with them. And the author's point is once you have that, it's almost, it, it, again, you're working with a natural human tendency. You don't have to constantly be fighting yourself not to sit. That's right. So it's shifting the battle to somewhere else. What would we call a person who's always battling themselves not to sin? At this point, we'll learn later in chapter 13, it gets a little more complicated. Someone who's trying to like, should I sin, shouldn't I sin, back and forth. That's a Russia. Because like once you're fighting that battle, at least the way it's presented here, we'll learn chapter 13, it's not exactly so simple. The way it's presented here, it's like once you're at that point, you win some, you lose some. So like... That inhibition that blocks the influence of the animal soul is gone. And that's the the idea. There's, I'll use this final analogy, although it's not perfect. Um, There is an Israeli policy, um, which I don't know if this is officially what it's called, but it it may not be officially what it's called, but it's known as mowing the lawn. You know what this policy is? So policy is like this. There is the Gaza Strip. What? Oh, no. There's the Gaza Strip. The Gaza Strip is run by Hamas. For whatever reason, the Israeli defense establishment does not feel that getting rid of Hamas is something that is they're capable or worthwhile doing. So what happens? From time, from- and the goal of the conflict is to do what? Well, yeah. if the grass is growing and you don't want the grass to get too big, you, from time to time, mow yeah. the lawn. So, wow. this is an actual Israeli official policy. I don't know if that's called that, but that's the actual official. In other words, like this. In other words, like going in and retaking Gaza and, and conquering it for whatever reason decides not worthwhile, right? Letting Hamas just grow and grow and grow. Not an option. Right? So... When it gets to be too much of it. And, and the pattern of Israeli-Gaza wars tend to go like this. For whatever reason, Hamas starts up. And then they want to stop very quickly. You know why they want to stop very quickly? Because they're going to be destroyed. Well, they're never going to be at fully destroyed. Right. Because, because the longer it goes on, the less they're going to have after the war is over. right? And the Israelis want to keep it going as long as possible. Because if you can get them back to almost zero, then you have longer uh-huh. before the next time. It's kind of like the... Now, there's a kind of dynamic going on here between the godly soul and the animal soul. That the godly soul gets a strong sense of clarity, keeps the animal soul in check, and um, 
is not really going to defeat the animal soul, but is going to keep the animal soul curtailed. And um, if the animal soul starts getting to be too influential, so we need to up the clarity, reset. And so what ends up happening is that this kind of balance is always being maintained, that the animal soul never gets to the point where it can actually break through and cause real damage, i.e. sin, right? But it's never actually being conquered or defeated. And that's kind of Israeli policy is not to conquer and defeat Hamas, but not to let them become a serious problem. So that's kind of in between winning and losing a war, isn't it? You haven't won the war. You haven't lost the war. You live to fight another day. Yeah. What? You live to fight another day. But the key thing here is where is the real battle of this Baini is not the after the prayer, it's... During Right, and right. Achieving. Achieving that prayer. The, the, the irony is you, the prayer seems like a more serene state. Right, because, right. But... Whereas the other state, you have the two different things, but, but because clarity always, over, always not just overrides, but actually changes how we feel in the moment about things, achieving the clarity through prayer means that after prayer is actually, relatively speaking, smooth sailing. And the, the real conflict is to achieve the state of prayer again before it's too late. Okay. Not to give in to international pressure and let Hamas get too powerful. Okay. Now, I, I'm using that as an analogy because it actually models the dynamic and it is called a war. I'm not in any way saying that whether I agree or disagree with that as an Israeli policy. Um, but, okay. What? It's on the record. Okay. Good? Okay, there's a lot more details, but that's the kind of general flow of it. Um, God willing, tomorrow we have class. It's supposed to snow. If it snows and I cannot come here. Sorry, if it's, if it's going to snow tomorrow. They often shut down the transportation. I can't go home. So I have to go home before transportation gets shut down. So there is a possibility I will not be here tomorrow. 